How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. <laughs> I actually waited too long and the cheers started. I re- ben, I really miss your cue where you reach out and point it at me. I do right. miss that. Vital service. One of these days, we'll get it back. One of the many things that COVID has taken from us. It is. The, the visual... Uh, the visual inspiration of Ben Nipotent. We miss you, Ben. We miss you guys all, too. It's we been a while, but it's good to see your faces. We still, we still feel your Ben Nipotent presence of, around us. Ah, uh, yes. It's a very calming feeling. Please enjoy. It's a gift. <laughs> Thank you. And, of course, Tom is here. Tom McCoy, our other co-host. We really need to redo the intro because Tom is our co-host as well. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing just fine, Dr. Joe. Yeah, we've got an incredible show tonight. Mark, we missed you last week. I hope that uh, you had a good week off. You certainly deserved it. Yeah, well, uh, based on the comments on our Facebook page, I guess I missed a good one, at least. Well, there are always good ones, but yeah. I know, but like a fiery one, a red fiery one. There was a lot. There was a lot going on. We cover all parts of, you know, human philosophies. I mean, just earlier this year, we had John McAfee on, who you could call uh someone who holds a position somewhere other on the spectrum than professor khan but you know yep. we respect them both we give them both a platform yep because everyone's got an im remember we're all doing the best we can but if you don't like it you can change it and it's so much more important to understand why we do what we do and that's what it is if you don't know why you do what you do how you meant to change it so with that let me pitch this right over to you tom who are our guests tonight well dr joe these are the founder and both proud leaders of One Good Turn, a nonprofit providing practical medical education and culturally sensitive medical care to neglected communities worldwide. Dr. Ann Messer and Annie Albrecht, co-authors of the Corona Care Handbook, helping you handle the COVID-19 pandemic. I, I tell you, I, I, I just get goosebumps just hearing about what you're doing and about this new book. I mean, welcome, welcome. How are you guys doing? Where are you guys out there in Texas? Well, one of us is in Texas. That's me, and I'm yeah. Anne, and we've known each other for many, many years. Uh, Annie's actually in Denver, so we're we're doing this whole Corona remote thing, and it's actually working out really well for us. I think that's wow. incredible. And just can, can Anne, can we just tell people why we know each other? Do you want to take that? Go one? for it, Joe. Me? All right, I'll go for it. Yeah, you, you, no, you, 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 you. No, no, no. You. No, this is exactly, this is like a Zoom wrap right there. <laughs> there you yes. go. Exactly. Well, Joe was my idol when I was a little kid no. because I really wanted to be on this amazing show called Zoom, and my dream came true, and so I came right after Joe. We actually never were actually on the television at the same time, but it's our true. group of the first 21 Zoomers in the first three years of that show have remained fast friends forever and ever, yeah. and uh, along with Christopher, who is our fearless leader, in that neck of the woods and so we all stay in contact and it's been wonderful to follow along with joe as he's developed his career and grown up and we both became doctors of two different kinds and who would have known and we both play music and 
love our children and do all those things that people do when they get older. So it's, yeah. it's kind of cool. One of my actually favorite nights that I've had in a really long time was several years ago when Joe and Tommy and me and Sophie and who else is there? Bernadette yeah. was singing. We all had this huge multi-hour jam session. Leon, oh was, Leon was, was jamming too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that was awesome. Dr. Ann was, was on the bass guitar, electric bass. Just, I mean, it was, it was great. It was just <laughs> so lovely. So t tell us, so tell us a bit um, about One Good Turn. Let's start there because it's such an incredible organization. Oh, thank you for saying that. Well, let's see. One Good Turn started about four years ago, which is amazing. Although it was in our hearts, I think a long time before that, you know, I've been doing global medicine for a really long time. And Annie came on a trip that we can tell you st the story of that trip maybe a little bit later in the show. But she came on the trip and was had a totally different role, but was assigned to uh, work with me in the medical unit. And we just got along incredibly well. And she saw way back from the beginning what one good term might be able to be. So a few years after that, I had a good friend who asked me, why aren't you a 501c3? You know, you could actually get donations for what you do which had never even run across my mind before. And we set up a nonprofit and Annie came on board and took over basically everything since I don't even know how to type. And um, we've grown it and it's a great organization now. We've been on many, many trips and take care of people all over the world. And that's one good turn. It's changed a little bit since COVID, but we're still trying to do the same basic thing, which is educate people on basic illnesses and practical ways that they, they can take care of themselves and their family all over the world. And right now we're doing that right here in America. Yes, you are. And so, Annie, how Anne alluded to the story of how you guys got involved with each other. So what happened? Oh, it was a bit of a crazy story. Um, Anne, feel free to jump in whenever you want. Uh, it was summer 2016. I was working with a completely different organization, a clean water organization out of Austin as well. Um, and we were going uh, to Kenya where they put in sustainable water systems. I was a development and fundraising intern. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And uh, we we got there and Dr. Messer was on the trip as well, um, providing medical education and, and clinical care while we were there in, in these remote communities in Northern Kenya. And uh, yeah, I was assigned to her team and it was an absolutely amazing experience, but we saw some pretty wild stuff that I think just kind of bonds you at a certain level. You you experience that together and come out on the other side a little rattled, but uh, definitely better for it. And here we are like four plus years later, which is kind of crazy. Wow. So what were some of the experiences that, that were disturbing? I mean, can you and? share any of that? <laughs> you want me to tell the story? Go for oh, it. Oh, Joe, it was one of these stories it just kind of gets seared in all of our minds. So we were working in a really remote clinic in very, very northern Kenya um, that was providing care to the Turkana tribe, which is a nomadic tribe that goes through, just moves from place to place with their mud-covered huts as the, um, the ground cover runs out of enough leaves to support their goats. And they, the tribes in northern Kenya aren't always friendly with each other. And so there was another tribe there um, that they were warring. So there were two different tribes and we were actually right on a border taking care of one of the two tribes. Well, anyway, the clinic was starting to wrap up for the day. And then along from the distance came this Land Rover blasting across the desert and it had a huge plume of smoke coming up behind it. And they pulled up in front of the clinic, which I saw from the outside because I happened to be walking back to say, I think we're about done for the day. 
Annie was inside the clinic. And this Land Rover, which was actually a safari, threw a man off the back of the truck and left him lying in front of the clinic for dead. And he was a member of the opposing tribe to the people that we were taking care of while we were in the clinic. And my staff pulled him together and leaned them over his shoulders and brought him to the, a table in this clinic. And this man was just lying there. And I looked down at him, I looked up and I touched him and he was burning up with fever. And I put my stethoscope on his chest and his heart made that love, 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 dub, dub sound when your heart is barely even beating anymore and i went this guy's gonna die this guy's gonna die right now and i don't even know what language he's speaking and i looked up at the clinician because there were no doctors there who was was working with us and i said i don't know anything about this tribe is there a right is there a rite of passage that people do when they're going to die what would you do you know the words do you know this language of this person and the guy goes i don't know anything about them we don't like those guys and I looked outside and all around the outside of the clinic, all this guy's tribesmen and tribeswomen had gathered around the clinic in complete silence, a ring of them looking in the windows, which were, there was no glass or anything to see what we were going to do. And I mean, my hair stands up now, even thinking about this and it was complete silence in the whole entire clinic. And I thought, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I looked down at the ground and there was a jerry can, a bucket full of something that they called surgical spirits, which I had learned earlier in the trip was rubbing alcohol. And I went, I think I can bring his temperature down in my head as fast as I can. Annie, Annie, grab gauze. We need gauze right now. And Annie's like, what? what? <laughs> and she ran and grabbed gauze. And I poured this bucket of surgical spirits, which is rubbing alcohol on the gauze and just slapped it on the guy and started swiping him down with rubbing alcohol, which very quickly dropped his temperature. And he popped back into being awake because he was in a coma beforehand. And he looked up at me and can you even imagine what it must have been like for that guy to come back alive again and see this white chick staring down at him? <laughs> and we completely resuscitated this guy. We wrapped him and wiped him in alcohol over and over again. I put the team on it. I taught Annie how to do that. The clinician grudgingly, since he saw that we kept this guy alive, started an IV on him for me, which was really important because I had no idea of his HIV status and their IV needles were really big and really hairy looking. And I taught the kids, the, the interns at that point, Annie was sort of a kid, how to do a fluid resuscitation and take blood pressure. And we saved the guy's life. And it was absolutely amazing because we did it in front of, I don't know what, 300 people. I mean, there were, there were so many people watching us. It was crazy. But mm -hmm. afterwards, I mean, I didn't give Annie two seconds to calm down. She and two or three other members of the team were just absolutely unbelievable and afterwards we sat down and we were all kind of shaking because it was such a crazy experience and I looked at Annie and she had one little tear running down her eye and she looked at me and said I've never done anything like that before no and I thought yeah. wow <laughs> talk about being thrown into the fire but she got right back up and kept doing what we were there for we had a whole lot of other people to see and it was mm -hmm. just a really amazing experience for yeah. someone with no medical experience at all, it was it was something else. I was it was an experience, yeah. <laughs> brilliant! What a brilliant insight! How to save someone's life. I don't know where we're going to go from there, but let's try it. I think we're going to go right into One Good Turns Corona Care Handbook, helping you handle the COVID nineteen pandemic. Because 
there is as much stress around that as there may be about finding somebody literally at your doorstep dying. I mean, so let's let's sort of just just for some history. Uh, Dr. Ann was on our show early on when COVID was hitting, um, and uh, was a wonderful guest, giving us some very practical advice about what to do. Dr. Ann was on our show again later on with Lisa Volpe talking about some of the very difficult decisions uh, that physicians have to make in terms of triage and who do you, basically, who do you keep alive when you have limited resources. And so I, I, when, when Ann told me uh, that she'd written this book and was coming out and Annie had written it, I said, you got, you got to come on the show. And First, before we do anything else, can you just tell folks where they can get this? Because you guys who are listening need to know you've got a couple of days and you can pick up something. I'll leave it there. Go ahead. Okay, go, Annie. Yeah, uh, it's available right now for free, actually, until Saturday night um, on the Amazon Kindle store. You can download it. Uh, yeah, Dr. Joe's got one right there looking good. Yay. <laughs> I'm trying to and find um, mine. Yeah, it's, a, it's available in paperback as well, and you can order it on Amazon. Just search <laughs> Corona Care Handbook, and it's right there. And we'll be listing it as low as possible. Our goal here is not to make money with this book. We're here to make sure that people have the information that they need. And, you know, if the lowest amount on Amazon is 99 cents, then that's what we'll sell it for. So. That's great. So let's go right to it. And, I, I, again, I've got it on my Kindle, so I, I have the advantage of looking at the table of contents. So let's start right off with the introduction. How to use this handbook? Where do you go? Well, we wrote it like um, really like a reference book. So each of the chapters originally came out of people just asking us questions like, oh my gosh, my kid has COVID, or oh my gosh, I don't know how to stay safe. And so we've got chapters on, look at it, on uh, first of all, we just started out with what actually is COVID 19 because it's kind of hard to even understand what it is. So we put that in there and we put in some really basic pictures about how it breaks up into our body, which we can talk a little bit more about that if you want. And then we went on to, yikes, COVID is everywhere, which it totally is. That's our second chapter. So how do we battle it in our, in our environment? What can we do to protect ourselves? And then the inevitable, oh no, I've got COVID. And we gave people some great tips about how to deal with it without having to go to a doctor. And part of that, Joe, was that we realized that the vast majority of people who actually get COVID are not going to have to go to a hospital. They won't end up on a ventilator. I mean, many people don't even have any symptoms at all. But a lot of people get really, really, really sick, but they'll never go to see a doctor. So we wanted to make sure that people had the right doses of medicine, the, anti the ibuprofen to take, not antibiotics, ibuprofen and, and Tylenol and how to do the cough medicine. Um, and then just interesting things like breathing positions. So we just gave people a lot of the information about how they can best take care of themselves while they're at home. And then we realized we needed to give people instructions for if they have to take care of somebody else, like a grandparent or a little kid. So we did that as well. And then we started talking about work, how to keep yourself safe at work, which can be very complicated for a lot of people. And then went on to kind of finish it up with school, which was a hot topic when we were finishing up the book. And way in the back, we have a bunch of tables, like for um, the different kinds of medicines you can take and kind of creating your own personal medical records so that if you do happen to get sick, you'll have a place where you've written everything down and you can bring it to your doctor and say, this is what I've done so far. That really helps everybody else. Um, was there, was there some 
thought to how people manage how other people see them if they're diagnosed with with covid is there a stigma attached to it what do you think i have found that there's much more stigma well there's two kinds of stigma first of all internationally there's huge stigma attached with covid with having covid in some of the places that we work in kenya people if they had covid they it was threatened that their houses were going to be burned down because people initially were so afraid that this was going to be a terrible illness so i think that stigma you see a lot more in that environment what i've seen here in terms of stigma is just a real sense of judgmentalism at first and certainly a lot of judgmentalism towards young people um college people about that they are doing these terrible things to spread covid and I do recognize that sometimes people ignore some of the social distancing things, but you know what, this is a pandemic and it's an incredibly contagious virus. And so I think that we can blame the virus a little bit more than the people and recognize that we're all up against something here that's really hard for each person to handle. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I bring it up because I, I want people to realize that if they get this book and when they get this book, it it's because you're going to help somebody else as well. I mean, that's, look, think, think about the initial story that Dr. Ann talked about, you know, one good turn. We are designed in our nature to help other people. And this could not be a better example of that. So let's, let's go right through it. So what is COVID-19? Okay, COVID-19 is a virus and everybody knows that it originated in another country and has mutated and come here, came here. And the reason that it's so dangerous for us is that since it's a brand new virus, we don't have any immunity to it yet because we haven't already had it in our systems before now. And it's also dangerous because of the way that it replicates or multiplies inside of our body. So what happens with COVID is the virus floats around in the air and sometimes it's a little droplet and we breathe it in primarily through our nose and sometimes our mouth and it sticks in little places on the back of our nose called our goblet cells and there the virus invades human cells and starts to multiply we've learned that one human cell if the virus sticks onto it through the little ace inhibitors it can multiply and make 1000 copies of itself just in one cell and that's so many viral cells that the little human cell just finally bursts open and all these little viral particles starts to spread out to other cells in the body and they just attach themselves to another cell in the human body and another thousand viral particles are made. So if you just can imagine the exponential ability of this virus to just go through all the cells in our body. So that's why it's so dangerous along with where it likes to go, which is the lungs, which is really dangerous for all of us. Hmm. Do you want me to tell you about the lungs? Yeah. Go. <laughs> so one of the places that the that the viral cells like to go is back down into the bottom of our lungs. And that's because we have a little space in the bottom of our lungs that's really warm and has a lot of fluid in it. And that's exactly what the virus likes to, to multiply. And when it gets down in there, it does that thing where it makes a thousand copies of itself in every cell and bursts open. And it bring it there's so much breakdown products of our own human cells. And then also our personal immune system goes rushing in there kind of like an army that doesn't exactly know what it's gonna be fighting. And so we bring all of our immune cells to go fight that, that off. And that fills the areas of our lungs with these cells and this debris and this fluid and all this immune response. But it means that the oxygen that's supposed to be there 
so that we can breathe oxygen in and get it to our blood so that we can use it in our brain and in our muscles. The oxygen doesn't have any more room to be there because there's so much cells and fluid and immune response. And that's what causes the pneumonia that can be so difficult to take care of. And it's because of that fluid filling up our lungs that the oxygen can't get into the cells the way we need it to. And that's how people end up being intubated because if it gets really bad, you actually have to blow air into the person's lungs with a lot of force, enough force to push back through all that fluid and all that cellular debris so that we can get oxygen into the lung tissues. From there, it's carried to the brain and the rest of the body. You guys have any questions about that? Holy cow. <laughs> so I, I do. Um, it doesn't seem as though there's nearly as many people being intubated and, and going on respirators, was that because in the very beginning they weren't treating it fast enough so it got to a point or were they treating it incorrectly? So nobody was treating anything incorrectly because this is okay. brand new and everybody was doing right. their absolute best. So we'll start right. with that. Um, I Correct. think that it's for a couple of reasons. I think it's for a couple of reasons. One is that we now can anticipate the next step a little bit better than we used to be able to. So people are getting treatment a little bit earlier because we now know, for example, and we write this in the book, that if your oxygen level gets down to 95%, you're probably going to be in trouble. And we've also learned that if you get really bad muscle aches, you're probably going to be in trouble. And we also now know that day eight is the time around which people tend to need to go to the hospital. All of that information, by the way, is in this book. And so since we've learned that stuff, we can predict the people who are gonna get sicker and jump on them a little bit more quickly. So that's thing one. Thing two is that this virus has mutated some as it's moved across the globe, which actually is also true with flu. That virus also mutates, which means it changes as it goes through. Um, and so there is some fairly strong suggestion that there are some slightly less um, virulence, which means strong strains of this virus. And so it may be that some people are getting that. And the other thing is that people are going to slowly but surely start to develop a little bit of immunity over time. Although I don't think we've really been in a situation yet where that's happening, but it will eventually start to happen. Yeah. So I, I just want to comment as an aside that this is exactly why I wanted Dr. Ann on here is because taking very difficult science and translating it into wonderful way. And that's, that's what this book is about too, folks, is being able to take this hardcore science and translate it so that anyone and everyone can understand it. You know, because people hear pneumonia, how many times have you heard to say, I have ammonia, you know, I mean, and they don't know what it is. So it's, it's wonderful. That's part of why I wanted people to really understand this. Get the book, get the book, because it is about caring. That's what it's about. Tom, what do you think? Is it fair to even just refer to it as a as respiratory disease? Respirat yeah. See how many people I talk to each day. It's so hard. Yeah. A respiratory <laughs> disease, because uh, that's why people were are like skeptical. A lot of people are skeptical because they don't see as many people like dramatically in bed coughing because it attacks people differently, if I'm understanding correctly. We had, uh, I think it was Glenn Gare a uh, few weeks ago talk about his experience with COVID, right. how it wasn't as simple as a flu. Some people have heart attacks because of it, if I'm 
not mistaken. It can attack the muscles. It can attack the nervous system. And so that's why there's so many, so many different ways to die from it. Right. Or to to get really sick from it. Um, No, you're right. And part of that is because we learned that the, the receptors on cells that can be attacked by COVID are called the ACE2 receptors, which you don't really need to know, except just to know that they're, it's interesting, most of the symptoms that we see with, with, with COVID um, come from the areas where these viruses can attack. So for, we have those kinds of receptors in our heart muscle cells, and so that's why sometimes the virus goes there. I mentioned it goes to the lungs. We've just learned that people can get ringing in their ears, which is called tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on what side of the country you're on. That's just ringing in the ears, which is really frustrating and obnoxious. That can happen after you've had COVID because there's some sort of neurologic thing that's going on there. So we're learning and people can get rashes like that's so random, right? Those little purple rashes on the tips of your toes. That's also because those are some of the places in the linings of the blood vessel that we have those receptor sites. So I don't think that we can say it's just a respiratory illness because it does affect so many different parts of the body. I think the reason that people talk about that in particular is that if you get it in your lungs and you get that bad pneumonia, then you're really, really gonna be sick. And that's the people who end up in the hospital. But you're right, it's a very wide ranging illness. So what about the idea of how it's actually spreading? Because um, that, that also was controversial for a long time. And you know people were doing the best they can with the knowledge that they had. Where are we at right now? So we still, believe that it's primarily spread in the air or from droplets on things that people touch, but mostly in the air, but in droplets. So the actual virus itself can't really live very long if it's just floating along like a, like a, what are those, like a milkweed pod, you know, those things that you blow and you see the little things floating around. So if the virus could float in the air, it's called being aerosolized, it could float along like that, like one of those little milkweed things and stay alive we don't really think that that happens for very long. Mostly the virus has to have a little nice coating of wet goopiness, like from our nose or when you cough and to float along. But what happens is that if it's in the air and then we breathe it in primarily through our nose, it sticks into the body. It really, really is good at sticking into the cells in our nose, which is why, by the way, it's so important to cover your nose with your mask as well as your mouth. When people do this, it's kind of like they're setting up a welcome mat, like an entry chute for that thing to go right into your nose. Because the big cells that catch it are just inside our nose. They're called goblet cells. I mean, honestly, if you have to take your mask off, just put it over your nose and leave your mouth. That's totally fine. Well, it's not fine, but that's one way to think about it. So we still believe that that's the way we get it. And the virus is just remarkably good at sticking. It takes like 10 viral particles for us to catch COVID and start replicating in that way I was telling you about before. So folks, I, I hope you heard that. The masks really are one of the main ways you protect other people from the virus. Um, and yourself. And yourself. And, yourself. Yeah. and also wash your hands because the other thing that's just crazy is how often we touch our faces. And people touch their faces on average three times a minute, like without even knowing it. As a matter of fact, one of the things that's interesting about Zoom conferences, I hate looking at myself, but it's a good way to train yourself not to touch your face, right? Because it looks so weird if you're like touching your face. So we try hard not to do that. But and on average, three times a minute. So if you've touched a surface, 
in particular it's like metal or steel surfaces because we found that maybe cloth surfaces the virus doesn't live so long on because it can dry out a lot more easily but metal or steel or anything hard and shiny like your cup or your cell phone or your the pole and the public transportation your subway those are places covid can stay and then if you touch it and then touch your face then you also are at risk of breathing it in too so, so wash your hands it's everywhere that gets to, to chapter two so what do we do how do we protect ourselves and other people well i think the first way to protect yourself and other people remember by protecting yourself you are going to protect other people is to just basically pretend like it's everywhere i'm sure we're going to talk about the cdc's change about whether or not we should be testing people if they have come in contact but they don't have symptoms yet but if we're going to test people less, then it's our personal responsibility to just assume that the virus is just really everywhere. So I kind of think of it as like a game, like, can I get from where I am to the supermarket and back home again with never touching my face and with not, with not putting my hands on anything that I think could potentially have a virus? And I'm one of those weirdos, I wear gloves when I go to the supermarket for two reasons. First of all, it makes me feel more comfortable about picking stuff up, but also I tend not to touch my face if I've got gloves on. So that helps a little bit with that too. So I think just the concept of remembering that we that everybody can be contagious and that everything could have to have it on our surface. Right now we sort of have to go with that. Social distancing, which means staying six feet apart from people is also really important. The virus can hit you if you're six feet away, but not very much of it can hit you. Most of it's gonna have fallen to the ground by then. Right. And remember social distancing is not the same as emotional distancing. And still have fun with people, but just six feet apart. You know, I, I want to take a, a deviation for a moment. Um, why do you think this has happened? And I mean, we, we've we've been neighbors with viruses our entire existence, and on occasion, we have these pandemics. You know, every hundred years, maybe or so. But why? Why are some viruses just so good at what they do? Well, that's a great question. I mean, there's a general conjecture there, which is that the world has been due for a pandemic for a really long time. And because we have had the ability to develop vaccines like the flu vaccine and the measles vaccine and other kind of viral vaccines, when our population was a little bit slower and when we had time to put that those vaccines together, one of the things that we've done is we've kept our own bodies from developing a broader kind of immunity. Now, that is not in any way to say that we shouldn't get viruses or vaccines because they are literally life-saving. It's such yeah. an important thing to do. We Very can't develop immunity to measles. So you have to get the vaccine. But the other giant thing that's happened, and this seems to certainly be true with this particular um, pandemic, and was also true with Ebola and even actually HIV way back at the beginning, is that when human beings come into contact with animals that completely live in the wild, that have never had any contact with humans before, and they have their own subset of germs that they live with, that they've been living with for eternities, and we have our subset of germs that we've been living for, with for eternity. When we mix those th two things together by working with wild animals and by pushing our way into territory where we shouldn't be, where there are bats and things that, that are living in their own beautiful natural territory that humans aren't really supposed to be there, we by necessity will It'll, we'll end up introducing ourselves to these viruses. And the last several ones that we've had that have really been at risk to become a pandemic all came because we were in the wrong place. Humans were in the wrong place. The animals were where they were supposed to be 
and we either took the animals out of their natural environment or we went into their natural environment and we weren't appropriately protected. It's so cool. But, and, and of course, you know, for me, it's still an I am. I mean, a lot of people will say, and of course, everybody, most people say, this is a disease. This is an, but it's really just our bodies responding the best they can. They just, we don't always get it right. But, you know, it's not like our bodies are doing something wrong. They've been, our home domain has been invaded by a virus. And our body then responds, just like Dr. Ann has described. But that's not sickness. That's just an adaptation, but sometimes it doesn't work. That's what the I am is about. The I am, we're all doing the best we can, but never said we were going to get it right. But what has been happening is we've been able to reflect on what's going on, make small changes that are having big effects. And that's why we hope people are listening and understanding the small change you need to make to protect yourself and other people. You know, it's the five fundamentals, right? Wear a mask, wash your hands, social distancing, wipe down things. And most importantly, we had, we had Josh Barakas come on from uh, BMC. Most importantly, if you're feeling sick, stay home. Stay home. Which exactly. is really, I think, hard for people to do because we've got this culture where, hey, man, you just, you just tough through it. You're tough through it. So what well, about... I think go ahead, Mark. That's going to that's gonna be the biggest takeaway from this that I think that's gonna be the shift that is longest lasting. If you have symptoms of sickness, you can work remote now. Do not come to the office. Do not go out of the house. You now have symptoms. We don't know what it is, but stay home because you can do it from home now. And those days of people coming into the office like coughing and, and spreading it everywhere, I think, is gone forever because they'll be shot on site. And I don't think people will forget this for a long time, right? Someone oh, comes yeah. into the office all stuffed up like they used to three, four years ago, you know, all puffy and hands and all that. It's like it, the they would, you know, it could be a, a coup. Get out of the here. It's weird here. that it used to be like a bragging point. It's yeah. like never took a sick day, got everyone sick. No. <laughs> it's evolution. It's evolution. We're at the we're at the cusp. This pandemic is changing so many things all at the same time. Yeah, it really is. So so how do we then bring it into the home? We'll talk about the social domain in a minute, but here's Mark showing us how he brings it into the home. I want to know if these if I wasted my money on these. We got a bunch of these for everybody. Oh no, I have terrible news for you. I uh, is it real? Is it real? It's real. Ugh. Mark has has put basically what is that like like a the neck a gator. gator a neck gator a and neck. it aerosolizes it like in uh, Batman. It begins. makes it worse, right? It actually makes well, things worse. <laughs> it doesn't because it's because non. It's, wait, hold on. Synthetic fibers like nylon and polyester are really really slippery, and so the virus can slip right through. So you can cough it out and you can also breathe it in. If you're stuck and that's the absolutely only thing you have, it's not a great thing, but at least you could, if you put a blue paper shop towel in there, you know those blue shop towels in your garage, like car guys use them all the time. Those are considered to be really the easiest to get 
called a non-woven fabric, a filter that you could put in. So you could fold your buff in thirds, because three layers, and then stick a blue towel in there, and it would be a little bit better. Now, would a really paper towel work? Yeah, yeah, that'll work too. The blue towels are a little thicker, and they work a little bit better, but a paper towel will work if you need it. But, but not a plastic bag, right? But, but this I, is, not but this is bag only in the most extreme situations. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, 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 don't. But this is cloth. This isn't that that synthetic, like, athletic material. This is cloth. Is that different i can't see what it, it is if it's um silk or if it's cotton or if it's yikes what else wool except even wool actually doesn't work that well because it's too um fluffy doesn't work so, that way did, is, does fabric works. logo on it did, does that have the mark yeah. logo on it there mark yeah, i think we've got a lot that in our, in our sister company but i'm i'm concerned is it the type is it the the thickness? Is it the material? Because this is similar to a lot of the material that masks are made of. So I, I want to jump for just a couple of minutes to testing because it's it's so nebulous. So I don't want to spend that much time. I really want to then get to the schools. So a yes. couple of words about testing. I know it's, it's in the book on uh, you know testing. Absolutely. There are broadly two forms of tests that anybody can get. The first one is called an antigen test, and that's the one where they stick a swab up your nose and get the back of your nose and the back of your throat. That's the one that tells you if you actually have virus in your system right now. One of the other ways that we're working really hard to get is a saliva one, where you either chew a little pad and it gets your saliva, or you just literally suck some out and look again for antigen, which means actual virus is happening in your body. The other kind of testing that we have is called antibody testing, and you actually have to do that with blood. And a lot of times it's just a little pick of, pick of, prick of blood, although they can do a big blood draw too. That'll tell you whether or not you used to have coronavirus. So did you have COVID in the past? So if you get a test and it's a prick of blood, it will not tell you if you have COVID right now. And the reason that we've those tests aren't so popular anymore is that there's a lot of different kinds of coronaviruses because COVID is one of a coronaviruses. Those also cause the common cold. So kids get about 12 coronaviruses a year. And at the beginning of this outbreak, we thought that kids didn't get sick from coronavirus because they already had coronavirus in them because so many kids get common colds. It may still be part of why kids don't get show as many symptoms as adults do, but that's kind of another topic. Um, but so the antibody test with the prick of blood isn't really going to give you very much information. But the antigen test that's in your nose, that'll tell you whether or not you actually have COVID in your system right now. So that's the, the faster, the better one for this. Right. There's two kinds of that. One is the rapid one that you find out in a couple of hours, and that's fairly accurate. And then the longer acting one can take some days. The good news, I guess, sort of, is that if your coronavirus is positive, in other words, if it shows that you have coronavirus, it's almost certainly correct. If your coronavirus test is negative and shows that you don't have it, we're not so sure that that's correct. And a lot of times people have to get tested again. So don't discount it. If you have a lot of symptoms of COVID, but your test is negative, you probably actually have COVID. But if it's a positive test, you probably really do have COVID. Important to know, um, in the book, 
there's a whole chapter on taking care of someone with COVID. I'm going to ask people to read the book because you may absolutely be in that position. Um, in the book, it's about work. How do we go to work? We spoke a little bit about that. But right now, schools are about to start. Let's spend a few minutes just really talking about that because it is such an anxiety-provoking thing for so many people. So many people are trying to figure out what to do. What do you talk about in the schools? Annie, you want to mention some of the things we talk about with schools? Well, it's we, we cover a lot. Um, and I do want to preface this by saying that none of this is suggesting that people should or should not go to school. That is definitely a decision for you as an individual or a parent or your school district or whatever governing body makes those policy decisions. We're just here providing the information that should you be in that situation might be helpful for you. Um, and it's, you know, it's our tips and tricks. We're talking about how to maintain social distancing when you're in crowded places like cafeterias and classrooms. We're talking about um, how to get kids to help uh, remember to wash their hands and all kinds of different um, preparatory things that teachers can do to try and just make their classrooms as safe as possible. And I'll let Ann talk about some more of the specifics, but. Well, there's things like, it's kind of like becoming a detective because there are a lot of sleuthing things that you can do to protect yourself in these environments. Like take a look at the ventilation system and don't put kids right in the middle of a downdraft because do we know where that air is coming from? What if it's coming from the other side of the room and there's somebody who's got coronavirus there? So take a look at your ventilation system. Make sure that you don't set kids underneath that. Isn't that interesting? Um, another thing that you can do is use the power of the sun because we know for sure that sun actually decontaminates coronavirus. So leave your windows open, leave the shades up so that indirect sunlight can come into the room. The brighter the room is, the safer it's going to be. So that's a really important thing. Try to keep the room, the doors to your room open as well as the windows. And so you sort of have a constant, constant ventilation. But if you have that, move the kids around so you don't have somebody staying in the same stream the whole time. The other thing that we've learned is that um, coronavirus spreads faster through people's mouths with increased volume. So that's going to be really tough for teachers, right? I mean, they, first of all, they have to wear a face mask. And then they also have to talk to these kids who are talking to each other. It's really difficult. So we advocate the school should give microphones if you possibly can, any kind of speaker situation, which that already is part of the requirements for any kind of special ed situation. So public schools should have the ability to accommodate the need for speakers for, the, for teachers. So that would be another great, simple thing to do. So one, one real quick thing before we go to our two final questions, um, and this applies both work and school. Person comes home from work or school. What, what should the people do at home? Is there a protocol people should follow? I believe, and we do this at my house, you know, my husband's a doctor, so am I. He works in the ICU and sees COVID patients all day long. It's kind of like a decontamination process. I mean, every doctor that I know, and I realize that's talking about doctors, but if you think about it, people in hospital healthcare workers actually have a much lower rate of getting COVID considering how intensely exposed they are to it. So let's take a page from that book. My husband wears scrubs, he gets home, he literally walks directly into our bathroom, takes them off, puts them in a special bag and jumps in the shower. We have a little routine. Then he gets to put on his comfortable clothes and those are his clothes that he stays at home with. So everybody can do that. 
when I go to the grocery store, I have this windbreaker I put on and I put it on before I go in the grocery store. I wear it when I'm in the grocery store and I take it off and ball it up and put it in a bag in my car when I'm done, just in case somebody coughed on my back and I didn't know about it. So we can all do that. Take off your shoes at the door. That's something that is universally accepted in all the rest of the world. When we work in Cambodia, I have to really check my socks because I have to take my shoes off everywhere I go. People don't wear shoes inside. And so that allows you to have more cleanliness. Take off your shoes at the door, leave them there. That's really important too. So yeah, and then the other thing, Joe, is take a break. Oh my gosh, it's exhausting. It's so hard to stay safe, be aware of your environment, don't touch your face, wear your mask, talk softly, and still do your homework or do your actual work or go to the grocery store. And I mean, so we just all have to take a break too and relax a little bit. Yeah. And that, that's something that leads right into the two rules of the I am. Small changes can have big effects. You don't need to change everything. All four domains interconnect. Home, social, biological, and I see how I see myself, how I think other people see me. So, Dr. Ann, let's go for it. What small change can you recommend to our listening audience besides getting the book? Think about what, make a plan. How about that? Is that a small change? Make a plan. Make sure you've got a thermometer and some Tylenol and some Advil and your favorite thing to drink and some Kleenexes and a wastebasket in your house someplace so that if someone were to get sick, you wouldn't have to run around and scramble to figure out what to do. And then when you've made that plan, you're going to feel a little bit more confident because you're going to know what to do. And so that allows us to feel like we have some control over this situation. And I think that that's incredibly important. Annie, do you want to add anything to that? You've got a few seconds. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think from, from my end, more of a personal and mindset change that I would recommend is just remember that this isn't going to be forever. You know, we, we've all got to suck it up and deal with this right now and wear the masks and socially distance and work from home and things that are uncomfortable. But if we do that and we all do it, this will end soon. Yeah. Hopefully. I'm going to just Fingers change crossed. it to Len. we got to stop in a minute, but Anne, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose. What kind of influence do you want to be? And then we're going to wrap it up. I want people to know that they can reach out and work together, and we don't have to blame each other. We can all get through this together. No blame. And one more quick time. How do they get the book? Amazon. Uh, Corona Care Handbook. Look it up. <laughs> Corona Care Handbook. Here, I'll show you a picture of it. It's no orange. Yeah. We had an amazing illustrator. Yeah, it's fantastic. Corona Care Handbook. One good turn. Corona Care Handbook. You can find it right on our page. One oh, good, good turn <laughs> is incredible. And please donate to it. It's a nonprofit. It's fantastic. It's going to be important. And thanks so much. Guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.